folks. Got a little feedback here. My name's Jesse. I'm from up in Hickory. It's an honor to stand here among you today. I want to share a few words today from this book. This book in my hand is a holy Bible. Holy Bible is not just some man-made book, not just some religion, not just some fairy tale. It's a revelation of an almighty creator to mankind. And it's not just because somebody said so or just because the Bible claims to be the Word of God. It proves itself to be true time and time again. It's been proven true by historical records, by the science of archaeology, by medical and biological sciences. The Bible's proven itself to be true uh, through fulfilled prophecy. The Bible from cover to cover is full of prophecy uttered hundreds of years before fulfillment. Something that sometimes uh, more than a thousand years before fulfillment. Something that other religious texts in this world and in the history of our human civilizations cannot and have not been able to do. But today this place, you you may not know this, but this place we're standing is called Independence Square. And on May 20th, 1775, something very important in our nation's history took place. In this square on May 20th, 1775, citizens of Mecklenburg County, more than a year before our nation's declaration of independence, gathered at an old log building near this intersection and declared their independence from Great Britain. Now, it didn't carry a lot of force in that day and time, and it would be more than a year before the 13 colonies themselves on July 4th, 1776, would declare their independence as a whole. But what took place here in Independence Square more than a year before the nation's declaration of independence was instrumental in swaying the people of the colonies to follow suit. And that's why the historians have labeled Independence Square right here in Charlotte as the cradle of American liberty. American liberty was birthed there in Philadelphia on July 4th. I mean, it was brought to fruition on July 4th, 1776 in Independence Hall. But that liberty, its cradle, its birth was here in Mecklenburg County. You know, today in this society we live in, we're content to see our freedoms and liberties taken away for the sake of safety and security and economic stability. My friends, our founding fathers warned us against such travesty. One of our founding fathers, James Madison, was the author who drafted the United States Constitution. He was a delegate from Virginia and would later become the fourth president of the United States during a time of war. And this president, during a time of war, made this statement. He said, our security in this country is not rooted in our economic success. It's not rooted in military might. It's rooted in our ability as a nation to fear God and to keep His commandments. Friends, we've forgotten that in our country. Our country is no longer free. We no longer have liberty in this country. You think you do? But if you want to put a utility shed in your backyard in Catawba County, North Carolina, you've got to pay nearly $1,000 in permits. That's not freedom. If you want to dig a hole in your backyard in the state of Oregon and collect rainwater and snow melt so you'll have access to water, you can go to jail. That's not freedom. If you want to gather 
here with Christians in your home, in the privacy of your own home in Phoenix, Arizona, and worship the Lord on Sundays, you'll go to jail. There's a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona today that's serving a 60-day jail sentence for having church in his home. We don't have freedom here. Those that think we do are sheeple, blind following the blind. Another grave mistake we've made about our liberty in this country, the cradle of which was right here in Independence Square, is that we think that our economy, our government, or our military are the sources of our freedom. Shame on us. We have forgotten the most important truth of true liberty. And we would do well to heed the words of men like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and John Adams and Patrick Henry. True liberty, my freedoms, is not the product of government. It's not the product of economy. And it's not the product of a military. It is a gift from Almighty God. My friends, if you think the military is what gives us freedom, you're deceived and mistaken. If we have freedom because men shed their blood, beyond that it's because of the grace and sovereignty of Almighty God who gives us that gift. And when we forget those things in our nation, my friends, we put the young men who serve our nation in danger. We put them in danger because we're biting the hand that feeds us. My friends, this place was the cradle of American liberty. It was the place of, a, of liberty in government, liberty in society. A thing previously unheard of was cradled right here in Independence Square in Mecklenburg County, May 20th, 1775. It was unheard of that a nation would be established not only upon freedom of religion, but freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press. And my friends, the people that conceived this idea, the men that founded this country, weren't agnostics or atheists. They weren't vile, perverted homosexuals. They were Christian men that feared God and believed the Bible to be true. And they understood that in an environment where men were free to believe upon the Lord and to reject Him according to their conscience. It was an environment in which the truth of the Scriptures could best thrive. If it weren't for Baptist preachers in the colony of Virginia who took a stand and demanded a Bill of Rights to protect our freedom of speech, you wouldn't have that today. We've forgotten our heritage. We're losing our liberty. But friends, I'm not here today to shout a battle cry for liberty of government, for liberty in society. I'm here to talk about another type of liberty. You see, liberty in government is only a shadow of a more ultimate liberty. You may have freedom in a democratic society, but my friends, you don't have freedom in this life. You don't have freedom in this life because, my friends, we as human beings, as finite creatures, are born in bondage. When you were born, my friends, you were born in bondage inherited from your first father. And that bondage is a thing called sin. My friends, our Creator, our God, is a holy, righteous God that created the world in innocence. He created it perfect and it was good. And you may laugh and scoff at this truth, but please understand that even our rights, our 
freedom, our rights come down from a Creator. Go read the Declaration of Independence. Certain inalienable rights that our forefathers bled and died for, it was said, come from the hands of a Creator. You see, we want the rights, but we don't want the Creator. And friends, that type of attitude in a society not only puts our military in danger, it puts our society in danger. It puts our existence in danger. But friends, when you walk in your own ways, you don't walk in freedom. People think freedom is to be able to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. That's not freedom. That's bondage, and that's bondage to sin. We're all sinners. We're all wicked and filthy. God hates sin. He's righteous. Even your thoughts and your idle words, God knows and sees and is able to judge. Jesus revealed to us the deep truths of God's law when He told us that though God's, when God's law says, Thou shalt not kill, God looks at the heart. Therefore, when you have hatred in your heart for your brother, my friends, you are a murderer at heart because God sees your hatred and your anger is murder. God looks at the heart, therefore, your lust makes you guilty of adultery. It's a perfect, holy standard that puts us in bondage because we're sinners. But my friends, just like American society and American government had a cradle of liberty right here in Mecklenburg County, Independence Square, May 20th, 1775, there was a time and a place that can be called the cradle of liberty from the bondage and tyranny of sin. Liberty from the bondage and tyranny of Great Britain had a cradle in Independence Square here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It grew to fruition at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1776. My friends, there was a time and place in which God Himself stepped in to human time and place and brought a cradle of liberty from the bondage of sin. Not something to scoff at. If you scoff in your heart, then you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You need to repent, sir. Jesus Christ is your only hope. The mark of a coward is to walk by the preacher and mutter something under his breath and not have the guts to stand and face him like a man. That's the society we live in. If this society existed in 1776, we'd still be under the tyranny of Great Britain. But my friends, there is a cradle, a time, and a place that was the cradle of liberty for bondage. From bondage and tyranny of sin. And my friends, that cradle of liberty was not a square. It was not a building. It was a place. It was a place that was unattractive. It was a place that people avoided in that day and time. It was a place called Golgotha or Calvary. I want to read about that today from the Holy Bible. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Many of you don't even have a clue about the Bible. Pause for a moment. You may learn something today. I want to read about a time, a place, an event that came to pass more than 2,000 years ago 
And it had such power that it divided history. And it's an event upon which all things, past, present, and future, are affected. It is written in the Word of God, and when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, the people watched him there. And set up over his head was an accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him and wagging their heads. Oh, I don't, I don't take money, man. I think what you're doing. God bless you. I'll use it for the work of the Lord. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. Sorry, I lost my place here in this breeze. I'm thankful for the breeze. It says, They set over his head an accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocked him with the scribes and the elders, and they said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by when they heard that said, This man's calling for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Leave him alone. Let be. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. God bless you, friend. Take care. Now when the centurion, the Roman centurion, and they that were with him watched Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. My friends, those events as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew took place historically around 30 A.D. in the land of Israel in fulfillment of age-old prophecy. Jesus the Christ, who had been born of a virgin in a Bethlehem manger, who had lived and walked the earth for 33 years, performing miracles, opening the eyes of the blind, 
healing the sick, raising the dead, proving Himself to be the very one He claimed to be, the Son of God. Jesus Christ in that time and place was hung on a Roman cross. And my friends, as He hung there, Jesus Christ cried with a loud voice in Aramaic, which was one of the languages of the day, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What a profound statement. In that statement alone, my friends, there's importance. There's an importance that transcends all of human history. For in that statement, in that time, 30 A.D., in that place, on that cross was the cradle of spiritual liberty. In that cry, my friends, is the cradle of true liberty. And that is liberty from the bondage of sin. Again, may I remind you that in this very place, Independence Square on May 20th, 1775, residents of Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, assembled near a log structure, and declared their independence from Great Britain. Nearly a year later, the 13 colonies assembled, their representatives assembled in Philadelphia and declared their independence with the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. Here at Independence Square, my friends, was the cradle of American liberty, it has been written. My friends, on that cross of Jesus Christ, when the Savior of all mankind said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is the cradle of liberty from the bondage of sin. What in the world do I mean, you might say? Many of you walk by wagging your head just like they did in that day when Jesus hung on the cross. Many of you don't care. You care more about the economy or you care about uh, an upcoming election. You wouldn't even pause to consider that there is freedom from the bondage of your sins. But my friends, let's look at that statement that Jesus Christ cried from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, my friends, that was a cry from the Savior of mankind. A cry of appalling woe. That word forsaken is one of the strongest words in the English language, my friend. We've been forsaken by friends in our lives. Sometimes our family will forsake us because they're jealous of our job or maybe they don't like our religious convictions or I know people that have become a Christian and been saved by Jesus Christ and their family completely forsakes them. Forsaken is a strong word. My friends, when Jesus cried on the cross, He wasn't forsaken by family and friends. He was forsaken by God Himself. A statement of appalling woe. My friends, that statement was also a statement of unequaled pathos. What in the world does that mean? It means that in that moment was the climax of Jesus Christ's suffering for the sins of mankind. When Christ Jesus cried from that cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the climax of His suffering for our sins. Jesus' words were words of appalling woe. They were words of unequal pathos. My friends, they were words of deepest mystery. What does that mean? How is it possible that God would be forsaken of God? Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. He wasn't just a man. He proved it by performing miracles and then later raising from the dead. 
Jesus Christ showed himself to be God by fulfilling prophecy. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the only way to heaven. He defined Son of God as God manifest in the flesh. He told His disciples, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. So how can it be possible that God would be forsaken of God in those dark moments? There was a bold preacher many, many years ago who lived in the 1500s in medieval Europe in a time when the wicked, evil, corrupt Catholic Church controlled society. Catholics aren't Christians. That's wicked religion. And this man had the guts to stand up and preach Jesus at the peril of his own life. His name was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther pondered upon this statement of Jesus Christ one time. It was written that he sat down and just stared straight ahead and thought upon this statement of Jesus for hours like a corpse, unmoved. And finally he stood up and responded, God forsaken of God, who can understand that? I don't profess to understand how in that moment on that cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was forsaken by God the Father. But I know it took place. I can't stand here and proclaim to you an understanding of the deepest mysteries of God because there are deep mysteries that surround our Creator. But God reveals His truth in the Word of God. The Word of God says that the Creator is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the God of the Quran, Islam, is not the God of creation. The God of the Bible and the God of the Quran are not the same. The God of the Quran and Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is revealed in the Bible are the same. You've got it mixed up. No, my friends, God is one God in three persons, inextricably unified, yet different in office. I can't explain that to you. I can give you analogies that hope to explain it. I can talk about the different types of radiation, alpha rays, beta rays, and gamma rays that are all radiation, but they have different purposes and roles. That doesn't capture it. I can try to explain the nature of the triune God in terms of water, H2O, hydrogen dioxide. It exists as a vapor, as a liquid, as a solid in the form of ice. It's all H2O. But that doesn't capture it. I can only say to you this. Those words are words of deepest mystery. Just like God is a God of deepest mystery, we can't understand Him through our finite senses. That's why we need Him to reveal Himself to us. And He did that through His Word, the Bible. And His Word, the Bible, reveals to us that in those moments, God was forsaken of God. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken by God the Father. I don't understand that. You know, my, my finite mind would say that means God in those moments, in those three hours of darkness, ceased to exist. That can't be true. The words of deepest mystery. I'm not here to explain them. I'm here to declare them as authoritative coming from the Word of God. My friends, Jesus' words were words of appalling woe. Forsaken is such a strong word. They were words of unequal pathos, words of deepest mystery, words of profound solemnity, profound solemnness. You see, when Jesus said, My God, why God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was quoting a psalm in the Old Testament written by the King David a thousand years before the events of the cross. There were words of solemnity. That same King David had written elsewhere, I have never seen the righteous forsaken 
But my, my friends, in that moment when Jesus hung on the cross, ultimate righteousness was forsaken. With profound solemnity, those words were uttered. My friends, these words were also words of unequaled grief. Unequaled grief from God the Son. Why were they words of unequal grief? Because in that moment, Jesus Christ was experiencing unparalleled grief, forsaken of His Father, suffering the sins of mankind upon His shoulders. And in that one instance, the inflexibility, the sternness of God's holy law met the unmatched manifestation of God's love in the cross. In the cross, the mercy of God and His kindness met His inflexible law. His stern holiness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ suffered the consequences for us in that moment. Therefore, His words were words that bespoke unparalleled grief. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of you do just like the crowd did in that day. I see your smirks. You think with your little shirt and tie and your job in the financial district you've got it made. Then you just turn around and shake your head. It's nothing outlandish. It's nothing that's openly rude or threatening. But you wag your head and scoff and mock just like they did in Christ's day. Unaware that this Jesus whom you laugh about loved you enough to be forsaken of God His Father and bear your sins upon His shoulders. My friends, let's consider for a moment the occasion of these words. What was the occasion of these words that Christ uttered from His cross? My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? My friends, these words were occasioned by darkness over the whole land in the middle of the day. In this, my friends, is subtle proof that the Bible is the Word of God. Do you realize that it was prophesied many, many years before the death of Christ that God would darken the earth in the noonday? In the middle of the day, it would be darkened and people would mourn as if they're mourning for their only son. In the prophet Amos, which was written about 780 B.C., 800 years before the death of Christ, it is written, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feast into mourning, and your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth upon our loins, and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an only son." My friends, that was referring to that dark day. In 30 A.D., when God caused the sun to go down at noon and darkness was over all the land, and in the middle of the Jewish feast there was mourning. In fact, God interrupted that feast when that curtain in the temple was torn in two, demonstrating that the sacrifice of cross brought us access through His mediation to an all-benevolent, holy, and righteous God. My friends, that cry of Christ was occasioned by darkness in the middle of the day. 
You see, in that day, at that time, when the darkness ended at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the 6th to the ninth hour, that was the time in which the Jews were offering up the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the month, Nisan. You go back and study the Old Testament. God told the people of Israel the night he delivered them from Egypt to take a lamb, to kill it, to put the blood over the doorpost. And when the angel of death saw that blood, they would pass over and look upon that faith as righteousness. My friends, the Passover lamb, just like all of the sacrifices and the ordinance in the Old Testament, were a shadow of better things to come. The Bible says in Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats can never atone for sins. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament were never to atone for sins. They were to point forward to an ultimate sacrifice, an ultimate Passover lamb. And when Christ was crucified and, and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the moment at which that lamb was killed, that Passover was offered, in that very symbolic feast of the Jews. My friends, when Christ Jesus is pictured in the book of Revelation as king of the universe, as returning to earth to set up a kingdom, he is pictured as a lamb that was slain. Do you realize that when Christ Jesus cried about his, his being forsaken by God, that he was a Passover lamb, his death was occasioned by the need for the sins of men to be covered by a righteous sacrifice? occasioned by darkness. It was occasioned by the Passover. My friends, Jesus' words were occasioned by unmitigated suffering, by unparalleled suffering. In those moments, the Lord of heaven and earth tasted the very wrath that we deserve as sinful human beings, that we deserve for our rebellion against God that we deserve for our pride and our lust and our selfishness and for the hatred that we secretly harbor in our hearts, trying to hide it with our charitable actions, with our membership in clubs, with our donations to charity organizations. Christ Jesus suffered those penalties. Do you realize that in those moments when Christ said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, accomplished a humanly impossible task. Jesus Christ on that cross suffered the eternal punishment of sin in a finite period of time. You see, when Jesus Christ cried out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My hell, your hell, and the hell fires of all sinful men and of all sins were burning within him. When Jesus Christ said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This was occasioned by real suffering. Not suffering by a criminal that was deserved like those two thieves on the right and the left. But the suffering of an innocent man in the place of those that deserved punishment. My friends, Jesus Christ, because he was God, because he was a perfect sacrifice, was able to suffer the eternal consequences of your sin in a finite period of time. And therefore, God put a veil around him and turned his face 
from Jesus Christ, who knew no sin but became sin for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Here in the Old Testament, it speaks of God's purity and His inability to look upon evil. The prophet Habakkuk says this of the Lord God, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. And you cannot look upon iniquity. My my friends, God's eyes are so pure. They're so pure and holy that He cannot look upon iniquity. And therefore, when our iniquity was put upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, God could not look upon Him. That veil was drawn around God's very Son, and Jesus Christ in those moments was God forsaken of God. I can't understand it, but God has declared it. That cry was occasioned by darkness. It was occasioned by suffering. And my friends, it was occasioned by solitude. Some of you guys give me a look down here like, what in the world is this? It's pretty sad that in our culture, public speaking is considered nuts. When our country was founded, preachers went into the streets and talked about liberty all the time. In fact, if it weren't for the ministries of street preachers like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and men that preached not only in their pulpits but on the streets, then I dare say that those 13 original colonies would never have been unified to stand up against the tyranny of Great Britain. You can rest assured that in this same square where that log cabin stood in 1775 and the residents of Mecklenburg County came together to declare their independence, you can rest assured that preachers stood here and preached the gospel. Why is it considered so weird? Guys, I don't normally live here in the United States. I'm a foreign missionary. I do charity work in the third world. We go in and out of a little country called Nepal, which is home to the world's highest mountains. We carry medicines up into the Himalayas in backpacks along with Bibles to give to people that don't have access to medicine and they don't have access to the Word of God. But the funny thing about Kathmandu is public speaking is part of their culture. People stand in the streets all the time and they talk about politics. They talk about culture. They talk about all kinds of false religions. Praise God, we can stand up and preach about Jesus. But it's not like here. Here you can stand in Charlotte, an independent square, and people are so busy, they don't care about liberty. They don't care about history. They don't care about the Word of God, and they just keep walking. If I were to stand and preach this message in the the Nepali language in Kathmandu, which I can do, the Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Nepali, we say it this way, When I stand and preach that message in Kathmandu, they listen. 200 people will stand there for two hours to hear about Jesus, which is a message of freedom when they only know the message of bondage found in their religions. But not here in America. There's such apathy. Because of our apathy, we'll lose our freedoms. Because of our apathy, we'll continue to elect corrupt government officials and politicians. And because of our apathy, we'll ignore the gospel. Too busy. 
got a farm to go to. Man, those amens are giving me strength. God bless you. But my friends, that cry of Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was occasioned by darkness over all the land. It was occasioned by Christ's suffering. And it was occasioned by His solitude. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, He by Himself purged our sins. There was no one there. He had been forsaken of men, my friends, and in that moment He was forsaken of God. Yeah, you shake your head. You don't care. Shame on you, sir. You need to repent. That's just what they did. They wagged their heads just like this man when Jesus hung on the cross. Just like Him. Too busy. Got the iPod, got the shirt, got the tie, got the job in the financial district. Everything's great. I don't say that to mock. I say that because I'm sad. But Jesus Christ was alone on that cross. Forsaken of men, forsaken of God. Why was He alone? He was alone, it says here in the book of First Peter. It says, 1 Peter 2, 24. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. In Galatians chapter 3, we understand why Christ was alone. He was alone, forsaken of men and forsaken of God because He became a curse. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Christ hung on a tree. He was cursed before men, naked and stripped bare, and he was cursed before God who is of purer eyes than to be able to look upon evil. Christ suffered alone. But Christ did not suffer alone and utter that cry for himself. He was by Himself, but He didn't do it for Himself. He did it for us. As I said before, in those moments, my hell, your hell, the fires burning, the hell fires burning for all of our sins burned within Him. The sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, were like an inverted pyramid dropped upon the holy, spotless Lamb of God so that a holy Creator had to turn His eyes away from His only Son. You wicked man. Go do your job, man. Somebody's waiting for a pizza or something. Maybe you need to go to the mental institute. There's something we call the English language that we converse in here in America, and you must not know it. Deliver your pizzas. Somebody's waiting. Somebody's late waiting. So my friend Jesus Christ, when He hung on that cross, said, My God, my God, why has You forsaken me? Those words were occasioned by darkness, occasioned by suffering, occasioned by solitude. But what did they mean? What did they mean? Jesus Christ said, My God, my God. Do you realize that in those moments that the faith of Jesus Christ was put to its severest test and Jesus could still look upon His Father and say, My God, my God. You see, in those moments when Jesus Christ was forsaken of men and forsaken of God, He still looked to God the Father as my God, my God, revealing His unrelenting faith. Earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ wept and prayed. And His agony was such that His sweat became like droplets of blood. 
And he prayed to God the Father, the human side of Jesus' nature, prayed to God the Father and said, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But if not, not my will, but thine be done. All these things were written before time, my friends. This wasn't just some coincidence. And it wasn't God's will to take that cup. Because God had already prophesied in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah that God's Messiah, the soul of God's Messiah, would be an offering for sins. And Jesus understood that and accepted it with unrelenting faith. My God, my God. You see, when something happens to us in our life, more often than not a result of our ignorance, a result of our sin, or a result of our foolishness, we say, why me? Why God? I don't believe in God. If God was true, these bad things wouldn't happen to me. Why God? Why God? Why me? Why me? Jesus asked why. Jesus was the fusion of man and God together. 100% man, 100% God. Two natures. I don't profess to understand it. I profess to declare it just as God has declared it. And the human side of Christ asked God why. But his faith in God was not shaken. My God, my God. Jesus Christ called upon God the Creator with unrelenting faith in a moment of intense agony. Why? Why hast thou forsaken me? What does that mean? It means in those moments that the eyes of a holy Creator could not look upon His only begotten Son and God turned His back on His only Son as He suffered the wrath and punishment of God's law upon sin. That's what it means. It means that Jesus Christ was your substitute. And as a substitute for our sins, He was alone. We didn't stand there beside Him. If we'd have lived in those days, we'd have cried with the crowds. Look at Him. He said He could save Him. Uh, he said he'd, uh, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. We'd have mocked. We'd have cried, crucify, crucify. When we sin against God and scoff at Him today, our sins are crying, crucify, crucify. But even in all those moments, forsaken of all, Jesus showed His unrelenting faith when put to its severest test. That's why the crucifixion and death of Christ is an example for all of us. The Bible says in Peter that Christ suffered and left us an example that we might follow in His steps. If you claim to be a Christian out there today and your faith cannot withstand even the most minor of tests, then shame on you. Christ is your example. When His faith was put to its severest test, He cried, My God, My God. It was unrelenting faith. In moments of agony. In moments of agony. Agony! because Christ was alone. Agony because Christ was bearing the burden of sin and He was innocent without sin. Well, that's the nature of the Gospel, friends. It was agony because the cross of Jesus Christ is a symbol of God's wrath upon sin. See, some of you out there think, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, no big deal. I'll just tell God I'm sorry and He'll just forgive me. Friends, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in a human court before a human judge. It doesn't work like that in an eternal court before an eternal creator judge. It doesn't work like that. My friends, God cannot forgive sin without punishing it. His righteous nature demands it. So you got two choices. My friends, it's Jesus Christ, forsaken of God, or it's judgment for you. You see, God 
punish the sins of mankind upon the shoulders of His only begotten Son and then turned His face on Christ. Turned His face away. Forsook His Son in those moments. As He bore the sins of the world. God punished your sins on Jesus. But if you won't receive that gift, then your sins will be punished. You can say you're sorry a hundred thousand times. But God will say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I didn't write it. If that makes you angry, take it up with your Maker, your Maker who made the provision for your sins. Well, Jesus Christ hung on that cross, and He cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, what were the results? The results of that cry were much like the results today. Let's go back to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Jesus cried. He cried, Why have thou forsaken me? It told us that there were those that passed by reviling Him, wagging their heads. Friends, Jesus Christ and His suffering and that cry, which I dare say is the cradle of liberty from the bondage of sin, resulted in sarcasm from the crowd. Sarcasm and mocking, much like I've seen from the residents of Charlotte today. Oh, you've not been up in my face or rude like some people are, but I see you wagging your head. I see the smirks on your face and the mocking. Just like those in Jesus' day that said, let him alone, let's see if God will save him. He claimed to be the Son of God. Why won't God save him now? He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Is that the result, that sarcasm, is that the result of your heart today upon hearing this gospel? Upon hearing this cry of Christ? Sarcasm? There was another result that day of Jesus Christ's call, or His cry. It was silence. When Jesus Christ cried unto God and uttered that prayer, the wall between heaven and earth was like that of brass. It ascended to the brassy heavens, and it returned with an endless echo. Why? 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 You see, God did not respond to that prayer. God did not answer that prayer because God's eyes are purer than to look upon evil. And Jesus' prayer was refused by a holy God who cannot look upon evil. Because Jesus Christ's prayers were refused, my friend, your prayer of repentance, your prayer of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can and will be heard by a holy God who will look upon your faith in Jesus Christ and count it as righteousness. Jesus' prayers met silence in that day that yours might be heard from a holy and righteous God. The heavens were brass for Jesus Christ today. My friends, if you reject Him, the refused prayers of a sinless Savior gives you an opportunity to be forgiven. But if you refuse that gift of salvation, be it known unto those that hear me this day, that the Savior whose prayers met silence 
will be silent in the day of judgment when you cry out to Him for forgiveness, having rejected His gift of salvation. The Bible talks about that great day of judgment when the dead, death and hell will yield up their dead and all the dead will stand before the throne of God in judgment. And all men will be judged according to their works. Jesus said not only our actions, but the thoughts and intents of the heart. Every idle word that we speak will be judged in that day. And when that throne is pictured in the book of Revelation, it's pictured as a great white throne. White being a symbol of purity. Roll your eyes, just like they did in the days of Jesus Christ on the cross. So you need to repent. You don't have life by the horns. You don't have it all figured out. Your, your bank account is not secure. You're not guaranteed internet every day of your life. Repent. And I tell you to repent because I care about your soul. And God cares about your soul. But there's a day coming if you reject Jesus Christ, my friends. Uh, you will stand before that great white throne and guess what? God's not there. That throne is empty. It's a symbol of your judgment. And when you cry like a baby, shaking your knees and shedding tears and falling down before that great white throne, just as Jesus' prayer on that cross was, uh, was, was met with silence, your prayers will be met with silence. And then that sinless Savior who cried out to God and was ignored in those moments will say to you, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. My friends, if you'll call upon Him today, His prayers were met with silence on that cross that yours right now in a day of salvation might be met with hearing from a holy God. My friends, there was another result, a glorious result of that cry that day. Oh, there was sarcasm and mocking. There was silence from a holy God at the prayers of His only begotten Son. But friends, there was another glorious result of that cry. And that result was salvation. My friends, it says that when the centurion, the Roman soldier, who undoubtedly been a part of that crucifixion, he may have been there holding the nails as they were hammered into Christ's hands and feet. He may have been there watching and laughing. But it says when that Roman centurion and those that were with him watched Jesus utter this cry, they saw the earthquake, they had seen the darkness and the things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. My friends, even in that dark day, there was salvation. For salvation for a man one would least expect to understand what was taking place. Not a Jew who knew the history and the feast and the Passover and all the prophecy. One who would least expect, you would least expect to understand what was going on, cried out in faith and saw salvation. My friends, because Jesus Christ, the holy, sinless sacrifice, because Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, God the Son, inextricably tied to the nature of God as part of the Trinity, because He hung on that cross as a curse for our sins, because He was forsaken of God. I can't understand that, God forsaken of God. I don't pretend to, but God's Word declares it. Because He suffered, because His prayers for God to deliver Him were met with silence, because He bore all the sins of mankind like an inverted pyramid on His shoulders. There's hope for you. There's salvation if you will cry in repentance, 
The same God who ignored the orphaned cry of His only begotten Son in that day. He will hear your orphaned cry if you'll turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. My friends, that's an amazing paradox. The God who refused the orphan cry of His own Son will hear your orphan cry today and bring you salvation just like He did for that centurion, that Roman soldier in that day. If you recognize your sin and repent of it. What does repentance mean? It means to turn from God. I mean, to turn from your sin and to turn from God. Excuse me. It means to acknowledge that you are guilty and deserving of the wrath of God. That's repentance. To repent and to have faith in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean trying Christ on like a shirt. When it becomes unfashionable, you toss it to the side. It's, it's like grabbing Him as you would grab a parachute in the downing, downing plane. It's unwavering trust, unrelenting faith, just like Jesus had on that cross. If you'll repent of your sin and put your trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God will hear your cry of repentance. But woe unto you that reject that gift, for the day is coming when it is done. The day is coming when it is done! And it's too late. My friends, Mecklenburg Square was the cradle of American liberty. Jesus Christ cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the cradle of liberty from the bondage of sin. And just as what took place here in Mecklenburg was brought to fruition in Philadelphia a year later in Independence Hall, so Jesus' cry, that cradle of liberty from the bondage of sin, was brought to fruition. It was brought to fruition not long after that when Jesus Christ cried, Three words, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That word, it is finished, to telesai in the original Greek language, means paid in full. Done. Christ was forsaken of God. He suffered the punishment for our sins. And then it was done. Paid in full. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then that liberty continued to work toward an ultimate fruition. Three days later, that sinless substitute, forsaken of God, was approved of God. His sacrifice was accepted as a substitute for my sins, and He rose from the dead. I'm not preaching to you today a dead prophet, my friends. I'm preaching a living Savior who rose from the dead, who was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses, who gave many infallible proofs after His resurrection, and a Savior who will come again to judge the living and the dead. was forsaken of God that we might through His power be able to forsake our sins. My friends, there's no other hope. In those moments when Jesus was forsaken, there was darkness over the whole land in the noonday. Fulfillment of an 800 year old prophecy. I think of the words of an old hymn. It says this, I'm not a very good singer, forgive me. And might the sun in darkness hide to shut His mercies or glories in when Christ the mighty Maker died for man the creature's sin. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. 
My friends, I preach to you today because I love you, but I love Jesus more. Jesus Christ changed my life. When He hung on that cross, He hung there for me. He hung there for you. And He took the heart of a wicked sinner. And like that centurion, I realized one day He was my only hope. And I cried upon, I cried to Him, believing that He, was, that he did as it was written. And that His salvation is real. And He changed my life. That's why I'm willing to go anywhere and everywhere to preach Jesus Christ and to give Him glory. My friends, repent of your sins and turn to the Lamb of God, forsaken of men, forsaken of God on that cross, that you might be reconciled to your Creator. Shame on you, sir. You need to repent, you wicked sinner. I'm preaching Jesus Christ, and the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. This is Noah's Ark. Well, I think you've been smoking a little too much marijuana. This is Charlotte, North Carolina. Very good. Welcome to Noah's Ark. Yes, sir. Welcome to the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, that's what happens when Jesus' name is preached. It happened when He was lifted up on a cross. The same people that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, a week before, blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord, were saying, crucify Him. I don't preach out here to make friends. I don't preach out here to be popular. I preach out here because I want you to be saved and to be reconciled to God. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I don't stand here in judgment. I'm not a judge. I'm just a reader of the verdict. Every court has someone that reads the verdict. God's already judged. I see people with these tattoos that say only God can judge me. That's true. But you got the tense of it all wrong. You speak as if it's a future event. It's not a future event. It's, it's already been done. God's already judged us. But not only has He judged us and found us guilty, He made provision for us to be saved. He judged us guilty and then He suffered the judgment. But my friends, if you reject that, you cannot escape the judgment of God. My friends, thank you for listening today. If you'd like a Bible, we have one with us. It's free of charge. If you'd like a gospel track, please come. We'll share it with you. I'm not a great orator. I'm not a great speaker. And I'm certainly not a man to model yourself after, but Jesus is. Lord, I'm thankful, my friends, for the liberty we have in this country, the cradle of which is right here in Mecklenburg Square. But I'm more thankful for the liberty and freedom from the bondage of sin, for the victory over sin we have in Christ Jesus. Its cradle was on that cross. Its fruition was in the words of Christ and His resurrection. And that's a more important liberty. My friends, if we have that liberty, losing our liberties in this country won't matter that much. We can live with it. Because ultimate liberty, as our founding father said, is freedom to be reconciled unto our Maker. May the Lord save us. Not God bless America, but God save the United States. Thanks for listening today. May the Lord grant you peace and safety as you travel to and from work. And may He grant you repentance and faith as He granted that Roman soldier that day Jesus hung on the cross. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory, to the only wise God our Savior, be honor and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.